All right, we're live. Um, yeah, so Andrew, how you doing? I'm doing good. How about yourself? You have a good holiday, and uh, how's the new year starting out for you? Good, good. I was in Arizona uh, visiting my side of the family um, in Phoenix and in Tempe. I stayed with my brother for the first half, and then Temp uh, Chempe Chandler for the second half. And um, that's where I was born and raised. So I go there every other year for Christmas with my family and my kids. Awesome. Do you have a and, big family? Uh, I've got, uh, I got two siblings that are in Arizona and then my mom and my stepdad. Uh, and then I have aunts and uncles and stuff on my mom's side. So I grew up in a, you know, in a Cambodian community of about, I don't know, like 20, 30 people, like, you know, that are, we're all semi related or set pretty close. Right. Um, and then a larger Cambodian community that, you know, was a few hundred people that were kind of surrounded the, the church that my uncle and aunt pastor, um, and they all came over as refugees in 1980 and 81 from Cambodia. They survived the Khmer Rouge. So, right. um, so yeah, so I, I always go back every other year. We, we switch Christmas between Vermont and, and Phoenix, um, every other year. So it's good to have a, a warm, uh, Christmas every other year. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that way I don't get, um, you know, like sick of living in cold weather during the, during the winter. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's good. It, it really, really, it was really, it was probably one of our best trips because my, my brother's kids are, um, my brother's kids are old enough to play with my kids now. And yeah. um, I also have, I also have two, two nieces, uh, twin nieces that are 16 and they're driving now. Oh no. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's really crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And they're talking about college and the future and it was great on this trip. I, um, talk to them about because they're technically generation z i think so i just got their perspective about life but anyways we talk about that later um how was your holidays how was your new year yeah it was uh it was great i had some time um i went uh, up north with my uh, about uh, half on my mom's side so just my sisters and my mom and uh, her husband we went up north did a little ski vacation over new year's which was which was great um so getting my five-year-old up on skis, it's uh, it's stressful, uh, but uh, yeah, we had a great time. Um, just nice little family time, uh, which I needed a bit of a break from the social, I guess. Um, and uh, so now I'm back. What's the what's the tell me about what's the skiing community like during the holidays up there? Because every every community is very different from a vacation ski community what's it like up there well i mean it's not skiing like i mean from vermont you would literally laugh at it like it's like our our hill is even equate to your bunny hills um but it's still you get that nice like sort of après ski environment you know and it's just you know i like having a good way to get out um and do something outdoors in the winter that's you know because it's so there's not that much to do when it gets that cold right and it hasn't been terribly cold but cold enough that you don't want to exercise and like I personally love skiing I think it's the best you know way to spend time with your family and you know be outdoors and be active and then you come in from you know being together all day on the on the hills and the lifts uh have a have a couple of drinks at the uh at the bar 
And then what was really nice is we could just literally stumble over to our hotel room because we were staying in the sort of little village there. So we didn't have to worry about driving or having no to worry Uber about or anything like that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Which is, that's the one thing with, uh, with, um, uh, usually like the skiing and is that you want to have a drink and then you want to have two, but then you're like, crap, I can't really have two cause I got to drive. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you know, after post skiing, you want to be really warm, right? You want to just get yourself warmed up and that's what the drinking helps. Exactly. That's funny. Well, I've been up, you know, I, uh, it's funny a few years ago, my, uh, my wife and I, we had sold um, a property we had in another state. And so we actually did a 10, we did an exchange, a property exchange to, to avoid tax, tax here. And uh, we were able to purchase a few properties here in Vermont. And one of them was a ski rental, it was a ski condo that we rent out um, at a resort. Um, and we, we've only, I've only used it like once or twice. And the rest of the time, I just, I just, I, you know, the accountant in me goes, well, I just want to make money on this thing. So we just <laughs> <laughs> my family never really gets to use it much but um but we do you know i do offer you know friends and people i meet hey come down to vermont and come use it sometime so if you guys are average skiers, you guys can come down and use it sometime. that'd be great i may ha i may have to rent that from you one weekend yeah yeah i think it'd be fun yeah yeah and uh um and it's a it's more of a local here hill that here it's like only 45 minutes away from burlington and it's considered the local hill so a lot of locals go to it instead of tourists um right. so you get you get the burlington and Vermont vibe as opposed to the tourist vibe um, at this at this particular ski mountain. So, um, so yeah, and maybe you can teach me um, some skiing on the Bunny Hill because I've only had a few lessons. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring a spare board for you. There you go. Well, tonight, you know, we're uh, um, Hector's going to join a little bit, but we're talking tonight about 2019 goals, predictions, resolutions. Um, so let me ask, let me start off asking you, Andrew, are you a new year's resolutions guy or are you a opposite end? Like you hate resolutions or are you kind of in the middle? No, I, I like resolutions. Um, but normally I, I lean more towards like goals than resolutions. I sort of look at resolutions as something you want to change. Mm -hmm. uh, time to set new goals and new aspirations. Um, to be honest, this year has been probably uh, the hardest because normally I, I literally sit down and I do, I have a little um, whiteboard in my office and I literally put my goals up on the whiteboard so I can stare at them all year round. And I find that to be a, a really good sort of exercise just to um, to see your goals on, on a regular basis. Uh, oh, Liliette saying Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Liliette. Liliette. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like to have those goals and those aspirations for sure. Um, I'm going to have to, I'm a little late to the game this year for writing down my list. Um, so I'm going to be working on those. I think I, I've got some high level ones and things I want to, want to do. You know, I know I want to work on, on my podcast and the book is, is a big one. I've been, um, talking about for a little while and I want to make a big part of what I'm doing this year. I was watching, it's funny. I was just watching this little preview today on Netflix for some tidying up show or something like that. Um, and it just sparked something that I, I, I thought was really interesting. Um, it, it was, and, and the, her, um, I guess, um, soundbite was, um, find the joy that sparks your life. Hmm. Uh, and I was like, wow, that's actually really inspirational. It was from someone who found joy in tidying up houses. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> everyone finds joy in different ways, but I think that that's, that's my big new year's resolution, right? is to, to find find the joy that sparks my life 
um, and, and focus my time and energy on the things that I'm passionate and excited about. That's really, really great. How about you? You, you, are you a resolution guy, a goal guy or? Yeah. I, I, you know, um, you know, that's tough every year I sway on that. Um, I have a few, I have a few of them this year. Um, I think this year I want it to be different. You know, um, one of the more personal ones is, is I'd like my, my spiritual life and, you know, I'm a Christian, so I'd like my relationship with my spiritual relationship with God to be the best ever this year. Um, you know, and why can't it be, why not? If I believe in the supernatural, why can't, if you believe in the supernatural, why can't every year that you live be the best year and better than before, right? It should yeah. be. So, you know, I'd like to work on that. Um, that takes, you know, that takes, that takes both work and faith and trust. Um, I'd also, um, I kind of an embarrassing one. So I have this on my hand right now on my left hand. I don't have one for my right hand, but it's because for the past few months I've been getting, um, arthritis pain in my thumbs from smartphone use. Oh, yeah. And Too much texting. Yes. And so that's very embarrassing. And also it's like the, I told you so from my wife, like you got to stop using the phone so much. So <laughs> I have to hold the phone now, you know, I have to hold my phone now with, and use my index finger, um, which is much slower on any. Yeah. So now it's like, just stop doing it, Michael, just put it down and don't be on it and don't use it and just work at realistic times and then leave it alone. Don't respond. Don't, you know, you don't need to be on it. And so that's kind of an embarrassing one, but it means I've got to wear this. I've got to use the smartphone less and I've got to just focus on relationships and meaningful things, reading, reading books. Um, you know, Bob Wang, I saw he had posted a goal of what he wanted to do for reading books this year. I think it was like 20 books or 30 books. And then people, he asked people to join him. So I probably should do something like that, either join the, that group or read it, you know, read at least one book a month on my, you know, for myself. So I think those are kind of the few of the things I'd like to work on, but in particular, you know, um, finding meaning and value in my spiritual life, make it the best one also, um, meaning value in relationships, even, even more than I have. And I'm definitely a relationship guy. I love relationships and people and especially people in our community, like getting to know people like you and Hector and stuff and just do, doing more of that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So, um, what, uh, are you more of a book reader or like, I'm an audible guy. Are you into audible at all? I've not gotten into that. Um, but I, I believe it's a, um, it's actually a part of Amazon prime. <clears throat> so, and, and so I should take advantage of it. I don't know why I don't, but I'm a definitely, I'm definitely a hard copy book reference. And then next I go to the Kindle reading. Um, so I've not tried the Audible, but tell me about that experience. Like, well, you know. I, I'm a big Audible guy. I, I grew up with a, a dad who used to play audiobooks in the car, um, like back in the day of cassette tapes. You know, he was, they call it the University of Four Wheels, right? Which is, um, so I, I think that, you know, having the ability to make use of that time sitting in traffic is great. I mean, I, I think um, I've, like, I literally have just recently passed the highest level on Audible for the most. Wow. Like, is there stuff like that? So I've literally, like, listened to tens of thousands of hours. That's amazing. That's over the course of years. 
Um, but yeah, I'm a big believer in, in audible books. Um, so we'd love to maybe... reviews and stuff too. And like, do you get like ratings or stars because of that? So you, you one, uh, it keeps track of all the number of, well, you have all the books that you've ever read that you can see, um, which is nice. You've, you've got, um, uh, it keeps track of the number of hours that you're, uh, reading or listening to, to audiobooks. Plus you get little badges and stuff like that for different things that you do. Like, so mm -hmm. if you, if you're taking notes or. Uh, you're listening to a book, you know, more than once, then you get like little badges because you're, you know, rereading or you're posting and sharing. You can do a whole bunch of comments and stuff, uh, but I don't really do that too much. Um, I like I sometimes do like we'll do little notes and stuff like that and like um, bookmarks in. So you can go back to like that time at the that you thought was an interesting point. So you can come back to that later. Um, you can highlight text and, and have that like uh, come out as like a little blurb so that you can, you can put that into a note or something like that, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of audible. Um, what I'd love to know from anyone who is watching us, they've got any tips for any books. Um, yeah. Just start posting books, recommended books this year. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, is there, we did Bob Wang start a book list? Well, if you go to the Facebook group, um, he asked people to, you know, uh, if you go down to Facebook group, his just a post off from him. Um, he just asked people to keep, help keep him accountable, join him on reading, and people started posting books to read as well. So yeah. there's a lot of great books, and he's reading one about Abraham Lincoln and leadership, um, Abraham Lincoln, which I believe uh, Dor uh, Doris Keene's, Doris Keene something, I forgot her name, Goodwin, uh, wrote that book, and I, and that was been a book on my list as well, so I definitely should read it in um, I, I, I think one of the things that we, uh, overlook, um, are reading old books, books that have stood the test of time, right? Books mm -hmm. that, books that have been around for hundreds or thousands of years and haven't just gone by the wayside and, um, and the wisdom in those books have just lasted and impacted you know, millions of people, instead of reading the newest thing or the newest book or the newest craze. Um, because frankly, um, many of the books that are new or even newer, they don't stand the test of time and they don't stand the centuries and cultures. Um, and so, you know, I think there's some books that do end up being classics and will always be classics. Like good to great seems like a book that will always be a classic, a business classic, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of books that we end up reading and we go, you know, I don't know if this is going to be a classic, right? Just like just a lot of songs or music you listen to and you end up just forgetting that artist yeah. forever. Right. Um, and so old, old books um, uh, are, I think are really valuable to, 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 to read. Hey, Hector. Hey, what's Happy up, guys? new year. Happy new year. Happy new year. Your audio is uh, off or something, bud. Yeah. Give me, Give me a second. I just, I just got here, man. Give me one second. <laughs> we know you can do better. Oh, it's a different side of you. It's a different view of, of you. Oh, yes. Uh, hey, how are you? So yeah. I got a new, I have a new Mac. Uh, nice. That has a built-in HD camera, which is pretty nice. Nice. Um, but if you want, if you want the old view, because it's just too much to bear, <laughs> let's switch to this view. So we're good. We're back. We're back. Back to what we're used to. Yeah. <laughs> The clarity on the other view was so intense. The glory of Hector. Yeah. <laughs> was it? Let's, let's check it out again. It's, a, it's better quality. It's very good quality. Oh, yeah. And door opens. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Is that your dad? 
<laughs> Hello. 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 Nice to meet you. <laughs> yes. Oh, very nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah. So I was practically, I was kicking my dad out. I'm like, dude, don't you know I have Friday night live? <laughs> I think you should get them that's, in here. I bet you we are. We kick out family. We kick out people who raised us. It doesn't right. Matter. That's right. That's right. That's the sacrifices we make. <laughs> so this camera looks better. Oh, this camera is actually kind of cool. It's great. Yeah. I bought, um, trying to get a last minute tax deduction. I went to Best <laughs> Buy and I said, hey, what's the, what's the top of the line Mac that you have in open box? Um, and you I got, always I buy got, your open box, right? Yeah. So I got the open box. Yeah. Uh, the uh, iMac Pro. Oof, that's what a nice computer, man. Yeah, I want to be, be rendering videos in 25% less time. And that should, that should be big for me. Wow. That's great. So what yeah. were you guys talking about? I, sorry, we, I came in late. No, it's okay. We're talking about um, 2000, you know, 2019 resolutions, New Year's resolution goals. Like, are we, are you a resolutions guy or a goal guy? And then we, and then we got into the topic of, uh, of book reading of books and audio and audiobooks as well, like whether you read hard copy or audio. But uh, Hector, how about you? Like, are you a resol New Year's resolution guy? Are you a goals guy? Do you kind of ignore it? And and, and what do you have for this year? Um, so my last year's resolution was to lose weight, and I didn't. So I'm not a resolutions guy in, in terms of execution. Uh, no, but yeah, last year my 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 resolution was to create daily content. And I kind of started, I, I really didn't finish, but, um, but, I, but I think, but, but, but I think I, I got something started. I think I got, there, there was some traction. So I, I, I really like the excuse that we give ourselves to do something different. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think we should wait until the new years to do so. I think that this is more of a social construct. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, like what, what, what is the difference between the first of the year and the 17th of July? You know, what, what, why is that more significant than the next one? Um, so I don't believe that I don't believe in New Year's resolutions, but I do believe on the energy behind it. Mm. Um, and I think, uh, and I think if there is some energy around changing or doing something new, I think you should ride the wave. Um, you know, look at, look at Michael with his new microphone, right? His, his new resolution is to sound better. <laughs> This and, was, uh, it was with Hector's help of yes, sending you this. Yeah, Thank it was, you, Hector. It was force, I was force fed to you. You didn't have a choice. <laughs> yeah. That's so we're now, we're I, now all on the Samsung Q2, right? Yeah, we're all on the same microphone. So we can officially make this a podcast, I think, yeah. now at this point. <laughs> you just got to get it down to a little bit shorter time span. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. Or, or, or spend some time editing. So I do yeah. have one resolution this year, which is to take at least three long vacations. Um, oh, nice. I, have, I have to now uh, do what I preach. You know, I preach quite a bit that I help my clients take vacations, but I don't help myself <laughs> take, take a vacation. So this year I want to take three long vacations. And I, I posted this, is, I don't know if it was a Twitter. Somebody said, what's the definition of a long vacation? And mm. I said, one week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if I, can take, if I can take three weeks of vacation where three are continuous, that would be great. I'm for sure going to Canada in the summer. Ooh. Uh, we're gonna go hang out with uh, Andrew a little bit, and 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 Michael. If you if you if you hop onto Montreal, maybe we can yeah. we can hang out as well. We'll do yeah, that. I'm gonna show I'm gonna show my kids Canada. My my daughter particularly is excited about that. So part of my, my New Year's resolution is figure out time now that I've worked really hard ten years on you know nonstop because it's the way I work is nonstop. 
try to now you know extract some of the fruits of my labor in terms of quality time with my family. I think that really should be everybody's solution mm. always, mm. no matter what. I do have a couple of business ones as well if you want to talk about those. But. That's really great. Yeah, let's talk about our talk about our business ones. Um, uh, Hector, why don't you start us off? You got them fresh in your mind. Yeah, so a couple of business ones in general are going to be. Um, I want to launch more, more sort of mini niche communities that that don't require me to 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 run them all the time. You know, like I had like last year, I had like six podcasts. You know, all different things. QE Power Hour, Tax Power Hour, Enterprise Expert. You know, I was just doing multiple things mm-hmm. and everything relied on me because I was kind of like the one running the show. But I really want to do is create sort of mini communities and mini uh, movements per se that, uh, that don't, don't rely on, on me pushing it 100%. But, but, but you know, if, if some of my idea and energy is, if I can use some of my, leverage some of my fame, let's call it that, to, to, to push that, I would definitely do. This is one of them, by the way, you know, so, you know, this, you know, getting people on Friday nights to talk about accounting in Facebook, it's, it's going to take some time. Yeah. But at some point, you know, we're going to have a list of people just waiting to, to join, you know, there'll be a time where neither one of us, all three of us will be gone and we'll have our friends jumping in and doing stuff. Right. So, so that's, so I think launching multiple communities that have their own niche, it's something that I, I should do is sort of like my calling. I have something I should do. Yeah. And I think this year I do want to make a dent in the profession. Like I think I, I, I slightly helped educate some folks, but now I want to make a real dent. Like I've, I want something to change where people say that change came from something I learned from Hector and, and, and his energy around stuff. So I don't know That's what really it is. That's I don't really know what great. it is, but I do want to put my stamp on something sort of greater than myself. Um, you know, I don't know what it's gonna, is it going to be. I think it may be around advisory. I, I think I want to teach more people uh, sort of the stigmas around, you know, being a consultant and advisor. I think a lot of folks just don't have clarity around what that means. So I think I will spend more time educating, not educating because I know a lot of folks know it, but I want to tell people what advisory looks like from my perspective. So then maybe if they see it from my perspective and they merge it with whatever their own perspective is, um, it becomes something. So I think that that's something because that, that's really the only thing that's going to be sustainable, right? Teaching people how to use bookkeeping, that's going to be, and I got a lot of flack from, for saying it the other day, a big post started because I said the profession, the, the bookkeeping profession is going to disappear in five to 10 years and people jumped all over me for that. And, and, I, and I, I don't think the whole profession will end, but the profession as we know it certainly will. Um, and I think the human aspect and the advisory aspect is the only thing that's sustainable. So yeah. I'll make, I'll make that my, my, my goal this year, just, uh, uh, take more vacations myself, create more mini niche communities that, that run themselves and, and use my influence to, to make a positive dent to the profession, mostly around the advisory end. And that's really, really, that's really, really great. Um, that's why and to support your comment about the bookkeeping profession going away which is really really interesting um or you know i one first of all i think saying saying um what sounds to maybe a lot of people outlandish things helps people think and gets their creative juices flowing so even if it doesn't happen in five to ten years um i think large aspects of it will i agree with you large aspects of it will be gone and the other thing is what's funny is what's marketed today as 
AI, machine learning, uh, big data is really a, a 24 seven bookkeeping shop in India and the Philippines, right? So, um, so that's what's really, really interesting is that there's still human involved, but they're much cheaper labor. So it's just augmented cheaper labor marketed as AI or machine learning or, or regressive analysis. So, so that's been very, very interesting. Uh, but I like your I like your goals, Hector, uh, especially the making the big splash one. Um, and I could I could see you doing that for a lot of people um, because of of how active you are and you do uh, force yourself to think of big ideas um, and think and, and you're not afraid to look at things in a different way and challenge yourself and to, to admit to yourself you could be obsolete this year if you don't change, right? And I think a lot of people are fearful of that to say. I could be obsolete in 2019 if I don't change my game, if I don't up my game or approach something different. Um, so that's really cool. How about you, Andrew? What's the what's the um, kind of a business goal, if you want to share, um, that you might have? My business goal is to hit two million in revenue. That's that's my big uh, my big one, which I, I'm fairly confident that we'll hit. Uh, as you guys know, I still have uh, lots of HR stuff to to figure out and work out. Um, lots of automation um to figure out in fact um spent the day today trying to rework some um uh internal automations and stuff that we were doing that we weren't doing really well to be honest it's, it's i don't even know if you really call it automations we use a product here in canada a lot a lot of people use something called financial statements and checklists um and i discovered in the last little while that we had these great automated checklist that we created years ago uh, that were um, so old that people were actually manually overriding them all the time. So we had this automated checklist that everyone was manually overriding. I'm like, okay, time for me to spend some time and, and, and look at that and fix that. Um, so I spent some, I spent uh, probably a better part of today going through and I realized one of the things I really realized is how much, how much I actually really enjoy that aspect of the job. Um, like, finding problems, solving them, um, making the process better um, and taking processes that would have been sort of like laborious and finding ways to sort of cheat the clock um, and find ways to like, even if they're like, I'm savers, um, but they all, you know, add up over the course of the time, like little thing that, that, that we were doing, you know, any, all these little time savings. I don't know why that I find that really, um, engaging for me that that's my little spark of joy, I guess. And, uh, so the little things like we used to, we have our, uh, engagement letters and our financial statements, um, that for our printed packages, we would print onto physical letterhead. And I'm like, why the hell are we printing this onto letterhead? And like, cause they, I, you know, we'd have people standing in front of the printer, like page one had one letterhead page two had another letterhead. I'm like stupid, stupid little process. So I just, um, came up with some um, a, a way to do it basically in, a, in Adobe so we could just put them right onto Adobe and um, print them straight to the printer little time-saving thing that you know not a huge thing but it's just those little you know, ways to get your mind thinking and working with technology that you know gets me excited so I think uh, your boy Ryan has uh, has joined us now Mike so maybe we can convince him to join the chat i just noticed oh i wish you i wish you, I, I did send him the zoom link so that'd be great um yeah ryan balf if you can join us we would love to have you on because i love i love hearing from you um that's great andrew some of the goals so so 
so we have we have a we have a similar goal for reconciled we 2018 was a great year we you know we started a little over three years ago we've doubled every year we got past a million dollars in revenue in 2018 and so 2019 we um we want to get past 2 million to about 2.2 million um so we want to double again but we have to do what took three years to do in one right and so that means um adding Ten thousand. Yeah. That means adding ten thousand dollars of new uh, monthly recurring revenue um, every month. So net new MRR, um, and then five thousand dollars of 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 net of special projects every month, whether it's you know um, advisory project or whatever. So it's doing that split for us, and that way we get past two to two point two with a in the end of the year with a annual run rate at at above two million, about two and a half million. Right. Um, so yeah, so that's going to be, that's going to be crazy. I think the, the growth, I've really tried to prepare my team for that. Cause I know that some are going to be up for the ride and some of them are not, <laughs> you know, and, and oftentimes those who are, are with you for that first initial few years, aren't going to be great for that, that next year, that ride, but we'll yeah. see. I, I, I believe in the team. It also means we have to beef up the Charlotte market. So we're, at, we're trying to actively add and beef up the Charlotte market and add um, a remote bookkeepers to that region. It's because it's a really our, our, our door to the Southeast part of the U S. Um, so yeah, so we'll just keep growing in that way. And then, you know, as I shared earlier, I think trying to collaborate more with, uh, with people like you and Hector um, and figuring out who, who do I align with in that collaboration and that I can work well with and help them grow their business. Um, and so there's a lot of, um, there's a, a handful of people that have reached out to me for mentoring. And so I've tried to set up formal mentoring um, uh, times with people on a monthly basis to help them grow their well, You're mentoring or they're mentoring you? I'm mentoring them. Um, yeah. So they've reached out, said, hey, I want to, I want to, I want to do what paid. Reconciled's done. Just paid yeah. mentoring? Paid. Okay. Yeah. paid mentoring, yeah. Paid mentoring, coaching, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. yeah. So I'm doing about a handful of those and those have been very, very um, satisfying for me because I'm learning in the process um, and and learning how to become a better be- better coach and mentor in that process as well. So I, I'm curious. Both of you said the same thing. Both of you are trying to hit two million. That's your goal. Yeah. Hmm. I, I want to say something. Um, n- not because I'm jealous because I've just hit a million, but um, you know, I, I don't think w- one of the challenges with revenue goals rather than other types of goals. And this is just I'm just throwing it out there. direct advice to you guys or unsolicited advice or just generic thoughts about it is you hit the million next year, your goal will be 3 million and the next year will be 4 million. It it feels like we're just never satisfied with what we have. (laughs) And and I want to make sure you don't forget something that I heard a couple of years ago and and it just something that impacted me quite a bit when I heard it. And it just keeps, because one of those monikers that you hear and they're easy to remember, which is, Sales are vanity, profits are sanity. And, and I, I, the idea is that you don't spend all the time chasing the revenue. You know, don't forget that what you're chasing is profit, right? You're, 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 you're chasing surplus value. And in some cases, I'm not saying you guys, but for everybody hearing, in some cases that, that, that endless search for revenue can model can model the real goal, which is, you know, impact somebody's business or impact 
X percent of the community's business. Or um, I think it should be more about like growing a team. I think if your goal is to grow a team, the revenue is implicit, but, but people will resonate with that. I, I think, I think so. So I, I, I don't know. I find that like maybe amongst professionals saying my revenue goal is 2 million. It's a good number to use because we understand each other, but it's yeah. not so it's not inspiring to the. Yeah. To, to the team, to my team is definitely not inspiring. You know, right. what's, what's right. inspiring, what I found inspiring was, um, I told them the vision, the ultimate vision for Reconciled, whether Michael is still in charge or not, right? Because in, in reality, the revenue goal also drives valuation for, for my exit, which is a for very purposeful for me. Um, but the vision that excited the team was how can we grow Reconciled to impact 10,000 customers, small businesses, every month? So how do we grow the company so that we're we're actually working with 10,000 customers every month that's supporting 100,000 jobs? And right. that was inspiring. Right, because jobs, jobs is always oh, inspiring. Right. So inspiring, you know, and, and if we can impact, if we can make 10,000 small businesses successful, and on average, each of them have 10 workers, 10 employees, um, that's a huge deal, right? That's a huge deal. That's a lot of communities impacted and my, my team can wake up every morning going, I am helping a hundred thousand jobs stay a lot, stay sustainable and, and stay active in the communities that we're impacting. And so that was the vision I put forward with the team and the revenue number was just a byproduct of if you just, you know, add up what, what can we realistically do this year if we work really hard, but, um, but also it, it is a reality of exit. If you're trying to create a, a business that's profitable for yourself, then I think you're right. I think like revenue goals really kind of are pointless. Look at profitability. Look at where you're trying to go um, with that for your life and for your family. Um, and for most people in the profession, that's really where they should be focusing on. And, and Andrew, for you, why is the number important? Like, why is the number important? Well, I think, um, you know, I, I sort of agree with Michael that it, it sort of we're working backwards um, from it, right? Like the, you know, we're obviously looking at revenue. We're also looking at um, profitability. We're looking at a whole bunch of things. It, what's nice is it's 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 a number that everyone knows and understands that then you're not getting into the minutia of, you know. Right. The profitability of it, you know that that's an easy thing to quantify, and it's an easy thing that everyone understands, um, and it's it's a nice big number too, which which you know makes it um, feel more important uh, to 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 me, and um, and in fact, I would say I would argue that that our team um, does get inspired by by um, you know achieving those big numbers. Um, they're definitely you're absolutely right. I think Michael hits it on the head when you can. Um, create that vision of what are we doing to inspire the community? That's way worth way more than money. Um, but everyone likes to have that, those quantifiable numbers that are easy to measure. So whether that's number of clients, cause we can reverse engineer to number of clients as well too, cause we know what our, um, you know, our lifetime value and, and our average revenue per, per client is. So we can reverse engineer down to whatever you want to work with. But I guess, Ultimately, the, the reason that that's important to me is it's also about, it's, it's about growth and growing and having this growth mindset. 
um, because you can, like you said, you can focus on profitability um, and that doesn't necessarily, uh, you could be shrinking, but improving your margins. And, and I've seen companies who've been able to do that. Um, they don't have a growth mindset at all and, and it's not important to them. So part of targeting revenue is um, identifying a little bit that my mindset is growth. And, and how would you use that to inspire your team, Andrew? Because that's really the, the key. Yeah, well, I, I think that the, the, the key for what's inspiring our organization is this concept of change. Everyone's bought into this um, idea and, and are excited and passionate about, we get that the status quo was not where we wanted to be. And so they're buying into this concept of where they want to go rather than where they are today. So it, what our, my team is excited about is what can we build together? And then it's this idea that we're working together as a team to build a vision that we all believe in. Um, and then that will ultimately reward all of us um, because as we grow the firm, um, we'll be able to reap the rewards all across the board, but not only financially, but also in building a job and an environment that we enjoy. Because part of why we haven't focused so much on profitability is one of the things I want to make sure is that I'm sharing some of this return and this growth with my team um, and not only you know, raises and bonuses and stuff like that, but also in giving them more freedom, uh, more, more uh, time training, learning and growth, uh, more time devoted to working on things that are completely unrelated to the business, um, things that might be charity related or giving back to their internal communities. Um, so that is a big part of where I want to focus the team's energy and hunger on is how do we change um, and how do we how do we create the culture that we have a vision for? That's great, so, Andrew. Awesome, Andrew. And we got Ryan joined us, so we officially have a sausage party. Um, <laughs> Was it four? It makes takes four to make one. Yeah, no, because three. Look, th three. You know, three is a trio, but the fourth one. That's it. That screws the whole thing up. Okay. Um, hey, well, Ryan, I you want to unmute yourself? Yeah, Ryan, unmute yourself. We're, you're here to correct our thinking about um, goals and revenue. So, or to agree that your goal is also to hit two million. One of the two. <laughs> two so he's unmuted. Are you there? Hey, what's going on, guys? There you go. Hey, Ryan, what's going on, man? Can Can you guys hear me? Okay. A little, little bit low. A little bit low. A little low. What microphone are you using? You just might okay. be a little. You might just need me to look closer to the Yeti. What microphone are you using? A Yeti. How's that? Yeah, get a little bit closer. That's right. A amateur hour. In increase the, the, increase yeah. the gain and get a little bit closer. If you yeah. can't see the mic in the picture, it's probably not close enough. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Yeah, Hector had to um, correct me on Zoom private message that I actually wasn't speaking into the mic at all. I was speaking to my computer, and so I had to just change it. And now I sound way better. Of you course, know, so. uh, I, I could hear the echo. I was like, why, why, is my, why was my gift so crappy? <laughs> I get out, that was my Christmas gift to Michael. Yeah. So Ryan, what's your goal this year, man, other than hitting $2 million, apparently? That's everybody's goal now. Well, to, to piggy, piggyback off of Andrew, I'm not necessarily concerned with gross revenue. I'm more concerned with profitability. Um, That's a piggyback on me, by the way, not on Andrew, <laughs> but just to... Uh, you know what? Just semantics. You're you're <laughs> muted. I think you're muted, Ryan. Yeah, we lost him. 
He's just got to. There you go. You're back. You're good. You're back. Sorry, guys. Um, Yeah, I think for me, it's more just about, you know, maximizing margins per client. Um, Obviously, you know, the goal is, is, is definitely the, the goal is always to, to, to grow gross. Right. But, um, I think it's easy to, to, to hit those numbers, but how many employees do you have? How many contractors are supporting you? You know, what type of, um, overhead do you have to hit those goals? So I always try to run as flat as possible to maximize margins. Um, and then I kind of let like the, the, the number of clients and gross take care of itself. So my first priority is not necessarily increase revenue, grow revenue, grow revenue. It, it's more like how, how can I uh, hit that number, but, but be able to sustain it with, with high margins. So, um, you know, I, I kind of take more of like a, uh, a net income approach rather than, than gross. But, but obviously, you know, uh, I'm with you guys. It's the two millions nice, <laughs> but I just want to make sure that if I do hit that two million, that my net is, you know, my margins are are the same, if not higher, because so, we all can go out and hire ten people, um, you know, and if if we have good sales skills or or good sales directors on our teams, it it might be easy to get you know, to grow your client base and hit that number, but how profitable are you going mm-hmm. to be? So, so Ryan, if you don't mind me asking, you, you, you've been in business for about five years, right? Mm-hmm. About five years. And you're in your 30s, it looks like, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Michael, the same. And I, I believe Andrew, maybe just I'm the 40. oldest here. <laughs> yeah. just, just 40, right? You're 40 or around there. But so from your perspective, Ryan, and you live in, up, you live in New York, what is that net? What is that net? What is, what is somebody that started an accounting bookkeeping firm? I'm not, I'm not asking how much you make now. That's, the, that's not what this is for. Someone in their six, seven year, which is what you're arriving to in the next couple of years. What does that net need to look like in order for you to feel that you're successful? You don't have to be rich and famous, but at that point that you say, you know what? My hard work paid off. This is the seventh year mark. Because I believe that even five years may be too little. I think that seventh year mark might be the sweet spot, which was for me. But it was the seventh year, really, that was meaningful for me. And Michael Lee, you you know, his second year was he was rich and famous. But you know, for me, it was seven years. I'm sure that for Andrew was similar. But for me, for I, I never felt like I made it until I was on a podcast. There you go. That's what Hector goes. There you go. So it wasn't <laughs> about the numbers. But just, just, yeah, just plain numbers. For me, I made it when I was at uh, on the same team with, with council, with Hector. There you go. It's not about the numbers. It's about the people, but anyway, so, so Ryan, so the next two years, what does that number look like for you to say, you know what? My hard work paid off. Mm. I built something that at this point, I don't have to work extra hard to make it grow anymore. If I could build an entire lifestyle for the next 30 years of my career, I will build it about around this current setup. What does that net number look like? That's tough to say because the expectations are set so high. Um, when I, when I joined you guys for this session, I think Michael was talking about, um, how like year one was, you know, whatever, but then year two doubled year three doubled, you just keep doubling. So like, I have this, 
this theme or this expectation uh, internally for myself to just double every year. And that's pretty much been happening for the most part with the exception of year two. Uh, year three was really when, you know, I was like, wow, this can, this can blow up and, and double every year. Um, that, that does slow down, Ryan, by the way. I mean, my experience, that does slow down. Not, not just yeah. for me, you know, the, I've been a year, I've been in business for 10 years. It, the doubling, the growth hasn't stopped, but the doubling has. Yeah. Um, now, part of it is because I haven't doubled my team. I think that's part of the reasons. You know, I have eight people. Michael has 17 people. Somehow Michael found the magic formula to uh, hire and grow at the same time. I never did most of it. It was because I'm, I'm kind of a control freak and that's part of the issue too. And obviously that looks different for every person, each leader, each goal. But uh, there'll be a point in time where doubling will stop. I mean, this is professional services. This is not an app, you know? Uh, so, so at some point, it, it, like for you to have your magic touch across all your customers, even if it's just five minutes per customer per month, that still has a limit. You know what I mean? Right. Um, especially when you're a CPA and you're maybe you're the only CPA in your practice, which is the case in mine. Not sure if Andrew is the same thing uh, where, where you're the one that kind of like, you, you know, you're the one that will lose your license if you screw something up where I do have to look at every one of the files, even if it's for five minutes, at some point there will be a hard stop on that doubling, right? Unless you bring in partners, that, that's a whole nother ballgame. Yeah. But without partners and the doubling stops, what is that net? I just, I like to hear a number or a range, Ryan, in terms of at that point, you're like, I've made it. And if I don't have to work any extra harder to grow, this is something that I can live with. A million dollars. Wow. Oh, that's good. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I would, uh, I would settle for, uh, taking home 400 okay. if I didn't have to do any work, you know, if, if I could limit my hours to supervising and leadership, right. So, uh, leadership, right. Right. Which is, you know, uh, that's like the biggest task. If, if, if we can somehow, so 400. So 400, Let, let's do a quick yeah. summary here. So he got 400, 400. I, I step out of production. I do high level leadership and management. I take four vacations a year, four long vacations a year. Yeah. Um, and focus on other ventures. Yes. And, and look for opportunities. What about you, Andrew? What does that number look like? So first of all, I'm going to call a little bit of shenanigans on, on Ryan. Cause I think that, you know, to hit a million dollars, you're going to have to have the type of personality that no matter what the number is, you're never going to stop. Um, and I think that that's the reality for every one of you. I don't think that there's a number. I don't think there's a number for any one of you. I think it, even if you hit it, you know, hit the jackpot tomorrow, you wouldn't necessarily stop doing what you're doing. Maybe you might focus your passion a little bit more in a different direction, start dropping some of the things that are painful in, in what you do, which I would actually encourage you and encourage myself to do immediately because I think the more that we do that, the, the happier we'll be. And then ultimately the more successful we'll be. But I think that every one of us on this call, there's no number that would stop us from doing what we do because we're doing. So that's my take on it. Yeah. I, I, I'm not trying to figure out whether there will be a number will make them make you stop. We're all young and ambitious. So Ryan and, and Randrew, you're right. There's no number that will stop. I'm saying if we were to spin off our business as it stands, and we're to make it its own self-sustaining element, 
and you would just run leadership wise in the board of directors? What does that number look like? Because I, I like to know what a successful accounting bookkeeping small practice that's not in the growth mode looks like in terms of revenue, at least what, you, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, well, I'm, I'm trying to do that now, right? And I struggle with that. I mean, it, it's it's the thing I struggle with all the time. And I think Michael's already doing that. He's he's already got a rule in place that if he's hitting more than, I think you said it was more than 50% of your time um, and so that you're you're spending your time on, on the high level stuff. Right. I think that's, that's what you told me in, in our interview a while back. So I think that, you know, we, um, we're at that level now. Um, so, I, and I would almost argue that, you know, once you're, what's that magic number that they talked about that the minimum level of money that you need so that you're not worried about bills. I think they said it was something like $70,000. Right, right. Right. Once you've got more than $70,000, you're, not in Miami, but okay. <laughs> yeah. I, and I don't know where, where they came up with that number. And and, and re- realistically, in New York City versus and Miami versus uh, and Toronto versus, you know, Minnesota are probably going to be different numbers, I would think. But somehow someone came up with that number of $70,000. And I think once you've hit, like, you know, you can afford your house and you can afford your car and you can afford food and you can have a middle-class life, then I think then that's at the point. So it's not like, I don't think, you know, starting to worry about 200, 300, 400,000. I think that, 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 that goal has to come well before that number. I mean, I think once, once you're like not worrying about, you know, um, being able to pay your car bill at the end of the month and being able to pay your mortgage at the end of the month, and you've got a little bit to put towards savings and retirement and, you know, you're comfortable. That's the part, that's the point it needs to start shifting. Yeah, I, I, this is a, this is a really interesting conversation because I um, I think there's I think for the mo- most of us in the profession, you know, and I, obviously I I'm very different because I don't come from a public accounting background, so I don't do tax work, I don't do audit work, uh, but most of us in the profession, the goal should be to create a uh, a business or a lifestyle business. That should be the goal for most of us. I mean, because there only can be so many exits like real exits fast growth real exits you know i came into that's this the first level goal first level goal is build a lifetime business yes, yes second level goal is to build a business that you can sell or become yes. the board directors and just make side revenue for being a founder yes or yes. completely sell it off to the lawyer. and that should be and that should be right? mo- that should be most of us and here's the reality the reality is um there, there will be a, you know a, a small percentage that grow fast and are able to sell something worth of value um, because of that growth. And then there's most of us who will sell something that provides a lifestyle um, and is profitable, but has very little value from a sale perspective, because the reality is because it's highly profitable, it's because you're, you're an active owner and most active owner firms um, have the owner super involved and all the relationships are uh, dependent on that owner being involved. So it has very little value, maybe half times revenue at most, which is the reality of the retiring CPA firms right now. Um, and then the third one is the, uh, the yeah, the, the thir- I think the third one is where you happen to have an active owner, but they kind of did this amazing mix of multiple partners right. and they're able to sell to the partners. And, and, and then they don't really have to sell the firm. So you see these firms. I mean, I, I went to Ottawa and met a firm that had been around since like the 1850s. And I was like, whoa, 
how do you have a firm that's been around that long? But they basically built the firm and they always kept it within the partnership, right? And they use the same apps they used to use back then. (laughs) Exactly. Paper. Which is called a general ledger. (laughs) (laughs) Carbon copy, stuff like that, right? But for me, I entered the profession and, and others like me, um, a few others like me, entered the profession for the purpose of an exit. And that's why the focus is on revenue and gross margin, um, because that's where the valuation lies. Um, and so, but, but I wouldn't recommend that for everybody. It, it's, not, it's not the romanticized glorious ride. <laughs> like that, that it, it, it is challenging. It has its pros and its cons like everything else, right? And so- um, and not everybody has the, the, the capacity nor the grit to do it. And I wouldn't say that makes you better or worse. It's just the reality of everyone's makeup. Right. Um, and so, you know, I look at what Ryan's doing and I'm jealous. Some days I'm super jealous with what Ryan has done with his firm because he's taken a really smart approach to it. And he's got a, a brand name that is really strong and, He's, he's got a customer base that's highly profitable. And some days I want to switch my firm for what Ryan's got, you know, and then, um, and I'm sure some days people talk to me and go, I want to switch what I have for what you have, Michael, you know, and just, um, I think we all think the, I think everyone's makeup is very different and success for me, success is definitely when I've built something valuable for sale. That's, that's, that's the way I look at it. And to me, that had to have, that has to happen within a three to five, a five year time frame. That's when I know I've done something. Um, otherwise, I'm just going to transition it to a profitable firm, which means literally just cutting certain people, um, like uh, and and stop stop driving the growth engine right to it, and then that'll that'll make it as profitable as any other firm out there. And so that's kind of the and and where's and where is that value in, in that firm that you can sell? Where's the value? Is it the customer base that's loyal to the company or brand? Is it a customer base that's company to the employees and the employees are loyal to the company or brand? Is it a brand by itself? Because it's no longer your knowledge as a principal, the valuable right. piece of it. Right. So wh- right. Where's, the va- where's the value on that? And, and how, do you, how do you quantify it when you, when, you, when you put that together? Because most people, we, we started talking about revenue, or at least when I jumped in, we're talking about just revenue, 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 revenue this, revenue that. And some companies buy practices or books of business based on revenue, but not all do. Right. Um, like I'll, I'll speculate about our friend Bob Wang here. We, we, we talked to him quite a bit because the only person I know that sold a practice to a big firm like that. But we'll speculate that they didn't just buy revenue, right? They bought, they bought culture. They bought a little bit of know-how. They bought a little bit of brand. They bought a little bit of the employees. Yeah, yeah. The energy. I mean, they bought a combination of things. So, what, what is it about Ryan's firm that you think has that value that that is sellable? Well, you know, one is if 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 anybody who's spent time with Ryan, Ryan, you can you can chime in and talk about yourself too. But anyone that spent time with him immediately knows, and uh, I think if you have any sense of intuition of talking with Ryan, you know Ryan knows what he's doing, right? You know what he's doing with his firm. He, he's not, he doesn't BS. He's not a, he's not a, a shark, a snake oil seller. He's laser focused. He's, he's laser, laser focused. focused. He yeah. executes. And when Ryan says he's focused on profitability of clients and really helping clients, you can tell like 
if I was Ryan's client, I would feel like I was served by one of the best professionals in the world. Just in just by spending time with them, I figured that out, right? I could tell his passion and loyalty to that. And oh, so it's my birthday. Yeah, <laughs> now, 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 Ryan, now that we have you all buttered up, now that you're buttered up and you're served cherry on top, tell us some of the secrets. Yeah, what's the secrets, Ryan? <laughs> uh well, it's true. I'm just very uh, passionate about this industry. Um, it's done amazing things for myself professionally, as well as personally, like I'm able to support three kids. And uh, I was retired my wife when she was a new mom. Like it, it, it's, uh, you know, there, there's, there was a lot of um, elements in like year two, um, where I became very appreciative of the industry. And I've always been somebody that, uh, like appreciates relationships. Um, so I feel like the best way to sell your services is to sell your personality. Um, and that doesn't mean you have to go and be fake with some, with a prospect and, and try to match their personality. Like I'm a type B. Um, so if I meet a type A, they might, uh, be thrown off if I try to convert to type A. So I just try to be myself. And, um, uh, I just think like by identifying their problems and giving them little glimpses of, of what they be, what they can be doing better, um, how I could possibly support them, um, I don't know. I just, I just think like a genuine approach is, is always key, uh, and, and certainly relevant when you're trying to convert a prospect to a client. Um, and because of that, uh, many of the majority of my clients are all referral based. Like we haven't even poked into advertising or, or anything like that. Um, so like just seeing that unravel just makes me even more appreciative. And I just, I just like, I, I love people. I love my clients. And, um, I think that like, uh, that resonates with them and, and they know that I'm genuinely there for them. Uh, that's all. Ryan, let me, let me ask you maybe for a more specific example. Sorry to put you on the spot like that. Just because, remember, people, some people watching this don't know you personally. Andrew, I don't know if Andrew has met you personally. Probably not, right? Yeah, we've met. Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, give me an example of how your business philosophy, what, what you have described just now, has given you a competitive advantage, maybe in the middle of trying to close a deal. I, I'm, am I being clear with my question? Like, you yeah. understand what I'm asking? Okay. Okay. Uh, you know, some, some might look at this and say, I'm being silly. I'm missing out on revenue, but a lot of times I'll, I'll utilize a strategy where, uh, especially at this time of the year, if somebody comes to me and says, I have no idea what I'm doing. I need to get ready for taxes. Um, my books are a mess. We have no clue. Uh, normally what I'll do is I'll, I'll analyze their financial statements I'll point out any discrepancies or inconsistencies, uh, try to help them identify the, the root of any problems. Normally it's just, Hey, your accounts are not reconciled. 
Um, and I think just going through that exercise and spending 15, 20 minutes with them, um, it, like I, I ba like it, it opens up their eyes, but it basically allows me to sell myself and, um, no, you know, normally what I would offer at that point is I'll get everything cleaned up for you at no charge. If you are interested in pursuing, uh, a monthly type of relationship and, um, uh, let me get this straight. So the first thing is you would, you're okay to investing an hour or two reviewing the books and basically giving away your expertise saying, these are all the things that I think are wrong and probably the way to go about it. That's one thing that you do. Right. And the second thing is that that's just free consulting up front. And the second thing you do is you figure out how much, you know, is, it should be the value of, of cleaning it up for them and offer doing the cleanup at no cost, regardless of how long it takes, as long as they sign up with some sort of monthly services after that, correct? Yeah, and, and th that's not to be twisted by any means. Like I certainly will elevate that monthly fee a little bit because I'm interested in, in MRR. I'm not really interested in one-time cleanups or, or hitting somebody for five grand. Um, they'll, they'll pay for the cleanup in the monthly service Exactly. Yeah, they'll, six, they'll pay for it in, in the long term. And then, you know, once two years passes, then, you know, I, I have more uh, selling power and, and the, 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 the longevity of that contract is, is way more important financially and um, uh, from a relationship standpoint than a, a quick, you know, I'll, I'll clean up your, your records for, uh, $3,000. Like I, I'm not, I don't think that is a, uh, a good selling point or, or and, a good selling strategy. And is there a minimum monthly contract after the fact that you would have them pay in order to kind of amortize that a bit? Well, yeah. Well, I'll usually request a 12 month contract and then month to month after that. And, and 99% of the time that they're, they're open to that. Um, and I just feel like that solidifies, our working relationship. So um, you, that's a really so, smart, that's a really smart, Ryan. So that's you'll really give away, let, let's just give it a number. You give away a $2,500 cleanup engagement, right? Which is, let's say that's what you would, you would have charged to clean up somebody's 2018. Let's just say that. And, and it's a good example because cleaning up 2018 may also be doing it because a lot of times, you know, there's not really cleanup. It's just doing it right. because right. what they've done is absolute nonsense. Right. But, <laughs> What right. and actually will be less expensive to do the whole thing from scratch than to actually yeah, which is normally what happens, right? <laughs> yeah, just start from scratch, get the bank statements, import them, whatever. But um, yeah, and we we all know, you know, like it's not like you know this is this is 2019 now. Like we we know that uh, we can take most companies, especially cash basis filers, uh, and, and and compile a whole year's worth of books like very quick, quickly, you know, it's not. What's quickly, Ryan? What's quickly? I mean, with all the, the, the apps that we have, like you, you, if you utilize transaction pro importer or PDF to QBO, you might yeah. be looking at a couple hours and, you know, uh, previously before that client met you, their expectations might be like, this is going to take somebody weeks to clean up. Right. right. So, 
I mean, there's, there's like a hidden value there. And certainly I won't disclose that. I, I won't lie to them and say, this will only take me a couple hours. I just tell them that I'll do it and, and it'll take me a couple hours. And then that's pretty much it. I mean, you can, you can simply say, I'll put most of my team on it so we can get it done oh, course, as soon as yeah, possible. Right. Oh yeah, right. yeah. You're not saying how long it's taking you. Yeah. And if you're a one, if you're a one person shop, most of your team is you anyway, so there's no lie there. Yeah, and there's a really smart approach to this because you basically, this is a, a a way of looking at cost of acquisition compared yes. to long-term value, right? So no different than if you spent advertising money, $1,000 or $2,500 acquiring. Exactly. If the LTV is 20 grand, you're going to spend 2,500 all day long if your exactly. long-term value is 20 grand, right? Over, wow. 20, over 24 months, right? So that return is amazing if you spend a few hours of right. free, free time where you're really amortizing it. It's, I think, I think it's brilliant and you have no advertising costs and that's what, you know, and, and so it's a very, it's a different approach, but you've basically measured your, you've put all your CAC into that cleanup labor. Right. Oh, you're and that, rich? And that's smart. You're what? Oh, you're rich? Yeah. Your, your, uh, cost of acquisition. Oh, I heard something else. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Andrew, because you're thinking of something else right now. That's what you're it's always, Friday yeah. nights, Andrew has a dirty mind, so. Always. But I actually have another question because um, this relates to something else I was wondering about. Because um, obviously, Ryan, it sounds like you're doing all of your, all the sales for your organization. Because in, in the model that you've got, you've got to have that analytical approach to being able to look into and seeing how you're going to add value, how you're going to clean up the books. Um, so I guess the question for Hector and Michael is, do you guys do your own sales? And then the question for Ryan is, um, assuming you want to grow to that million dollar number and want to step back from the business, eventually you're going to have to hand over that sales role to the process so that your knowledge and that, that step that you're doing where you're able to be um, creative and people are buying into you and your personality can then be scaled across uh, other people who may not have your charisma or as well as your knowledge. Can you, can that be defined in a process that someone else can then follow to be able to mimic? So while well, that Ryan Stew and I want to ask just Michael and Hector while Ryan's doing, do you guys do your, all your own sales or do you have uh, a salesperson who does any of the sales? Yeah. Last, last April, it was like last April or March. Um, I was two and a half years in a business and I hired a full-time salesperson. And what I did was before I did that, I, I documented how I did the sales process. So I, I knew it by that point I had created a repeatable documental sales process that I could train somebody. I hired the person and um, I had them trained within two weeks. Um, so I think you're I completely agree, Andrew. I knew that if I wanted to exit ever, build something of value that was a brand and not Michael Lee, then I needed to, a documentable, repeatable, trainable sales process. Yeah, I agree with Michael 100%. Actually, I have a, we have a full-time person in our firm. Her name is Jessica. She's, she's amazing, to say the least. Um, she doesn't know the, the, you know, she doesn't know QuickBooks or accounting the way I do or the other accountants do. But she knows how to say, she knows how to how to run all the way to the edge and say, this is what I'm prepared to answer at this point. I will give you some generic answers. I will CC Hector or Alex or whoever in my team so they can clarify. But it looks like what you need is this, this and that. What I love about her 
and this is the way we train there is offer the client something, even if you're not sure if it's right, offer them something. So at least we have a starting point, CC us, and then we can interject and, um, you know, and, and tell the client, look, I'm sorry, she, she really misread that. This is the direction we're going to go because you got to be able, like, like uh, Michael says, in order to make your firm sellable and, he, and also in order to make you productive, mm-hmm. you can't be answering every single lead. It, it's just way too much. And I, and I I get them, by the way, I get the leads because people refer, people don't say call Hector's company or call QuickBook Keeping. They say call Hector and they give him my cell phone number, Ugh, you know, or my email. <laughs> uh, and I give away my email on my, in my, uh, in my, in my videos. So I, I tend to get most of the leads. And what I end up doing is I'll, I'll look at the lead briefly and I'll, I'll reply saying, thanks for reaching out. I'm going to. I'm going to copy Jessica, who's, who's the office manager. She's going to tell you a little bit about the options and give you a couple, let you kind of know what's the best fit and whether or not we can help you. And then I really let her run it. But I would say that one out of 10, I get directly involved because they're sort of bigger projects or, or I mistakenly created a brand around my name, which is something I've, it's been a very difficult thing for me to transform, but my suggestion would be once you start doing good marketing, whether it's Facebook or YouTube videos or um, ads, Google ads, whatever, that you're not the one answering every single, every single call, even if you're not, you don't think the other person is qualified because it just won't make you as productive because a lot of these answers sit in your head. And it's not until somebody else tells you, I don't have the answer for that, that you don't realize that this is something that you need to document. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the challenge that we have is because we know so much because we started our business from scratch and because we're so passionate that we don't sleep until we find the answer to every single question. And our employees don't, don't do that. They can't do that. They're not, on, until they become partners, they will never do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the owners are always never going to sleep until they find the answer. So we have a database in our head with all the answers. And also we make the last decision so we can make up our own answer at the same time. But employees or a full-time salesperson is not going to have all the answers. They're always going to be unsure about offering something that they don't know whether we can do it or not. And you kind of have to give people the leash, open leash, and give them power to say, just offer something. If you're not sure, copy me. You know, I, I don't care about apologizing afterwards. And it's happened to me where I've been scheduled for a job that's undoable. Like I literally, you know, called the client, logged into the computer, and they're like, oh, no. Mr. Client, what you're asking for, it's undoable. I'm an accountant, not a whatever, physical therapist, whatever the heck you're asking me to do. Like we had this one client that called and says, are you guys QuickBooks experts? Yes. Are you sure you're QuickBooks experts? Yes. Okay. They scheduled the call. When we get there, he's got Google Sheets. He's like, oh, I want you to do something. I'm like, Google Sheets. I don't know how to do Google Sheets. He's like, well, you told me you were a QuickBooks expert. I'm like, I know, but this is a whole different thing. You know, it's one of those things that sometimes you just, going to run into the weird client that had this weird request that no matter how you framed it, how much training you have, it isn't until you get there that you realize that it's undoable. Those things happen. But for the most part, you got to let someone else handle your sales process after you get to a certain level. So Ryan, I guess that's a question for you. What's, what's your, what's your system right now with dealing with sales and leads? It's, it's broken. It's uh, to be completely honest, it's, it's really, all me that, you know, I, I have, I have employees that I know will eventually, you know, my, 
my vision is to groom them, uh, which will take a couple of years uh, until I think that they're ready to basically run the show and, and uh, engage with prospects. So, you know, I kind of instruct them at this point, just uh, if you have a lead or whatever, um, just spark a little bit of interest. Don't be too aggressive with your approach and just set, uh, set up a, a meeting with myself and them and I'll close the deal. Um, so it's broke. It's really all me, but, but we do have clients that, that I didn't get personally, but I, cl I closed every single one of them. Um, so my instructions are just, uh, and we have a commission plan in place. Like all you have to do is just bring the lead to me and I promise you I'll close them. Um, and I know that's, that's just not sustainable. Like you said, Hector, it's just, there's going to be a point where it's just going to be overwhelming and um, it, it's not scalable, but I do think I, I have, I can fall back on the confidence that eventually uh, my employees will be groomed to, uh, to do everything that I'm doing from a sales standpoint. Let me ask you a last question and a last comment. I will close it up with uh, you guys. Cause I think Michael and I have done most of the, chit chat here so we'll let andrew can ask ryan the last questions that sort of thing but i want to make a couple of comments one is i'm remodeling my house and i have a guy come over who has a bunch of employees who are doing the remodeling and the guy that sold it to me is the person that i looked in the eyes and says i trust you to get this done i wasn't saying that he needs to physically do it i just need to make sure that he's responsible at the end for delivering the product and that's kind of what Ryan is doing. Maybe you're not doing the work, Ryan, but you're the one that's looking at the client in the eye, stealing the trust and saying, we got you. And you're, you're, you're selling it, you're pricing it, maybe collecting the first check and maybe talking to the client at the end, but you're, you're making it very clear that even though you're the one who's selling it, you're not necessarily doing it. And, and that's okay. I think that's okay. I think if the owner, manager, founder, inspiring person is selling the jobs but not doing them, that's totally okay. Um, so I started doing that and I still continue to do that with the bigger projects. But, you know, I've had to make it a point to say, hey, I won't be the one showing up at your office doing the work or, or doing the, the session because I have to actually extract myself from the deal because then it would be unsustainable. But Ryan, there's nothing wrong with it. I don't think that's broken. I think you're leveraging your skills, your passion. You're leveraging and you're the one that prices it, right? But mm -hmm. I think that the hardest thing for anyone to give someone else the capacity to sell the deals is just not, it's not just our trust that they'll close it. I think part of it is our trust that they'll price it right, correct? Because Ryan, you don't charge by the hour, correct? No. Yeah, right. So that's, that's, that's a whole nother conversation that we can talk about later in terms of that's part of the anxiety around value pricing is that the, the, the people that feel they know how to price jobs usually are the ones that are very cognizant of maybe an employee that doesn't know how to price the job, so underprice it to not price it for, for profitability. So, so Ryan, I, I don't think, I just want to give you encouragement. I don't think it's broken. I think it's going into the transition where you're, you're recording all the knowledge around the sales process, hopefully writing it down and documenting it somewhere. So eventually when you get someone under your wing, they can watch you sell. And then you can just kind of give them, you know, give them field 
so they can do it. So I just wanted to add that because I've I've been been there, done that, Ryan, and I've yeah, and I've and the process of surpassing it. What about you, Andrew? Well, I I think you hit the nail on the head. I don't think he's doing it wrong. I don't think it's broke. In station uh, who who has uh, a full time sales person um, who does most of it. We're looking at revamping that and trying to find. I think the reality is maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle. Um, I think you have to have scalable, repeatable process um, where you're training people, but there's also something to be said about um, them speaking to the owner or feeling that the person that they're um, talking with is the person who has the end all be all say in the organization and that they're going to make sure that whatever the project is, whatever the job is, is going to get done, whether it's in, you know, renovations or in accounting, you want to know that the owner has made a commitment to make sure that your work is getting done. So we're trying to find where that hybrid is, and which is why I asked that question, because we started to look at our sale close ratios and and the balance is in between because I know if, if I get on the phone or if my dad gets on the phone, our close ratio goes up substantially. But we also know that we can't spend all our time doing on that, doing that. So we have to we're looking to find that hybrid solution where we're able to um, have our team replicate our knowledge, which is probably impossible, or or to have the hybrid where 90% of the work and the heavy lifting is done, but then we still come in for a five minute, you know, hey, just want to make sure that everything's under control. And we're trying to figure that out right now because, you know, and I think, you know, all of us who are in this industry don't all think our processes are broken. Um, because we all have that mentality of trying to improve and make everything better. And there's always a better way to do it. The grass is always. Um, and I think that that there's probably things that could be done better in the process. But clearly your process is working well. And I would say that I'm looking at what you're doing and saying, okay, that's executing and saying, okay, how can I maybe then take our process, um, which has gone down this road of we, we did, we delegated it all down. And yes, we were growing. Um, but uh, when we look and we do the analysis and our close ratios, we know we can do a better job at that. And I think that honestly, it's going to be somewhere. I think that the real solution is going to be somewhere in the middle where it's a combination of the owner still being involved in that sales process, but not spending an hour to do the deep dive. Like you've got to train that, that analysis that can be like, find a process that's repeatable. Like these are the core things I want you to look at to see if they're broken. Um, and if you can, you bring me in to, to do a deeper dive on it. Um, or if you find things that you think could be potential, you bring those to my attention so I can say, Hey, look, my associate has identified these items in your work that I think could be improved. Um, this is how we're going to improve it for you. Because I think that, like I say, having the owner be the one to say, okay, this is what we're going to do. And, to Hector's point, this is what the pricing is going to be, um, has immense value. But I think there's maybe some heavy lifting that can be pushed down. So I, I believe, and this is just, you know, going from my gut and my heart um, at this point with nothing to support it. I think the answer for us is going to be a hybrid. I'll add one more comment before we log off because I know we're over the hour. And just a comment to Ryan. Ryan, part of the reason why it's powerful for the owner or a partner to be involved in the sales process, especially for the bigger jobs, and you, you may not have thought it this way, so hopefully I'll, 
I'll give you a new way of thinking about it. People want to know that they're talking to the person that would sign the refund check if it doesn't get done correctly. That, that is a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Or the person has the authority to accept the refund, the authority to deploy the resources and deploy a redo, or most importantly, the authority to refund if it doesn't get done correctly. Because the way I sell all my jobs, everything, is I lead with refund, ask the question. I see somebody bitching and complaining. I say, hold on, let me pay you back first and then we'll talk. And that changes the entire conversation because most people's anxiety is around the fear that they wasted their money. Mm-hmm. It's, always, it's always what it is. But when they talk to the owner and they look at the owner in the eye, because they know the owner, if, if they make promises, they should, they're the ones that have the authority to fulfill them. That's why it's, it's still powerful. And so not, nothing broken about it. We just have to figure out how to make it more, more leverageable, I guess. Yeah. So Michael, take us home. Well, this has been great, guys. Uh, Ryan, thanks for joining us tonight. We need to have you on more, hanging out with us. Thanks for having me. Come back anytime, hang out. Of course. But um, yeah, that's a great conversation. Look, look forward to talking to you guys next week. Bye, guys. Good night. Bye. Bye. Here's-